It's so good to be in the house of God, isn't it? We can come together, we can sing songs of praise, we can lift up the name of Jesus Christ, we can worship our Lord and Savior. And we started out this new year with a reminder of why we're here at church. We all may have different reasons for being here on this specific day. Maybe somebody guilted you into coming, maybe you were the one saying, come on family, let's go to church. Whatever the reason is, we gather together not only to be at church, but to be the church. We're here as a family, and if this is your very first time, welcome to the family. We're glad to have you with us. As individual believers, God calls us to love Him, to bring glory to who He is, to show His love to others around us as we fully enjoy His grace and mercy. We sang about that this morning. His grace alone is why we're here. It has nothing to do with who you are, where you were born, any of your background. It's because of God's love and grace that any of us are able to be here. And because of that, we can be saved. When Jesus was asked by a religious leader, probably trying to trip him up, he was asked, what are the, what's the most important commandment of all the Bible? If you were to kind of boil it all down, what would you say? And Jesus pointed to the Old Testament. And in Mark chapter 12, he summarized the law by saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love him with everything. And then love your neighbor. Love the people around you. We have to have that right first before we can even attempt to love the people around us, don't we? We have to know God's love. We have to love Him back. Otherwise, we're just putting on a play. We're just trying in our own personal strength to just be kind and to be patient and to be loving with other people. And if you're like me, that fails over and over again. But when I ground myself in God's love, when I recognize just how much He loves me, and I love him with all I am, that can't help but spill over to the people around us. And that's what we want to do as a church. We look at our mission statement, which behind me says, worship, grow, and share. And as we've started off this year, we're looking at it in the actions of love. Love God, worship him, love others, grow with them, and then share. Love our community as we share the gospel, as we share God's love through our actions, our words, and pointing them to God. So just briefly, our mission statement, that worship, grow, share, is founded in Luke 10, 1 Thessalonians 4, and Matthew 28. And I'm going to go through this quickly, so if you wanted to get more of this, you can go to the website and you can find the sermon. It's dunkirkbaptist.org, and then you'll click on sermons and you'll find all of the text and information here. But basically, we've, we've boiled it down to the mission of First Baptist Church. The mission of this church family is to develop missionary disciples, people who want to follow Jesus Christ, who worship God, grow spiritually, share the gospel, and our spiritual gifts. We want to share who God made us with those around us. As we look to worship God, here's a brief definition of that. Our lives are made to glorify God. 
That means to put him on display as we recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We show people what God is like when we live like Jesus. And we grow. We develop disciples who are followers of Jesus Christ through spiritual growth, through maturity, and through fellowship. We gather together, not only here as a body of believers worshiping God on the worship service, but then in Sunday school classes, in growth groups. You heard that there are three different groups this week. So with your schedule, check and see if you could attend one of them. You get to know people better as you fellowship with them. They get to know you. You get to pray for people personally, care for them, help meet each other's needs. That fellowship is part of how we grow together. Last week, we spent the whole sermon talking about that, and my favorite verse about growing is Hebrews. I can't remember the reference, even though it's my favorite verse. It's gone now. But it says, stir one another up to love and good works. Side by side, encouraging each other, saying, hey, let's serve God together. That's the best way to get people involved. And then finally, share. We're called to share the good news of the gospel and God's love with our community and to share our own personal spiritual gifts and abilities. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This three-week series is ending today. And if you want to go back and if you missed any of them, you can catch up on the website. They're available in video as as YouTube files as well as uh, being able to just read through the notes. So on New Year's Day, we explored what it really means to love God, to live a life of worship. And summing that up, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love God, you will obey him. You'll follow his commandments, not because he's a tyrant king, but because he's given us his word and said, this is what a good life looks like. This is what a life that's pleasing to me looks like. If you live your life according to my word, you're going to have peace. You're going to have hope. You're going to have joy. And you're going to have love. All the things we talked about in Christmas are all wrapped up in following God's word. And then we talked about the second commandment, grow or love each other. And we renewed, we reviewed tons of one another verses. If those of you that were trying to write them down, you probably still have writer's cramp from trying to write them down. There's a hundred of them, how we treat one another. And most of them, we're talking about love. Love one another, care for one another, put each other first, encourage each other, speak truth to each other. All of those beautiful passages about how God wants us to treat other believers and then today, how we treat our community and the world around us. So we're going to dig into that deeper today as we love our community. The first part of Jesus' Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples. Share the good news. Share the gospel. And that good news is that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us, to be part of his creation, to show us what God's love is like, to put it on full display as he lived here among us. And then Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to give up his life as he died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, to offer peace with God as we have Christ's righteousness instead of our own attempts at good works. 
And then Jesus rose from the dead, and he brought eternal life to those who believe in him. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then we could say he was just a good man who did a lot of good things, but he was really confused about his identity. He said he was the son of God, but he died. If that was where the story ended, then we wouldn't be here. Paul said we would be most miserable of all people if it weren't for the resurrection. Jesus' claim that he was the son of God, his claim that I will come back, I will rise again, was true. Hundreds of people saw him, and there's historical documents that say this happened. Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross and rose again. So we serve a risen Savior. If people in our community need to know that good news, then how could we keep but sharing it with them? How could we not love them by telling them that good news? I challenged the deacons to read a book with me this year, and we're just finishing it up as we start this new year. It's called Loving Your Community, and it's by Pastor Steve Viers from Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. One of the big takeaways that started to change our thinking was saying yes to opportunities whenever possible instead of a quick nope, can't do it. My background, if you don't know me, was in business. I have an MBA and I was trained to look for problems. And so as I approach things, I'm looking for, is this going to work and what are the possible problems? And if we do that in the church and we do that with ministry, we're not going to do anything. We're going to be sitting on our hands saying, there's no possible way this could happen because we're leaving out God, his power, his strength, and his purpose. Jesus said that the church will prevail. The church will be exalted as we exalt him until the ends of the age. So we have to stop saying no, and we have to start saying yes. We see a need, let's do it. God, help us do it. Let's gather together, see what resources we need, and how can we serve and love our community. So that's one of the big takeaways for me was to stop saying no, this doesn't look like it could work, to saying, yes, let's do this in God's power. Galatians 6, 9 to 10 was our scripture reading, and I'm just going to reference two of the verses in there this morning as we get started. Thank you, Sarah, for reading that to us. I think they're going to be up on the screen. Galatians 6, just keying in on the the last two verses from the reading, 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. The Apostle Paul said, let's do good to everyone. That doesn't mean staying here in church and having a holy huddle and saying, we love our songs, we love each other, and we're just going to keep it all to ourselves. He said, go and do good works. Love everyone. In John, the gospel, chapters 13 to 17, Jesus met with his disciples. He was in the upper room for the Passover. He had a final meal with them. And he was preparing them for his departure from this world. 
He wanted them to be ready, to not be surprised in what was about to happen. He had mentioned it, according to Mark's gospel, three times already. He said, I will die, but I'll rise again. And now, as they're getting closer and closer, he's telling them again that this is going to happen. Don't be surprised. And most of all, don't fall apart. You've been following me for years as disciples, and now you're about to see me die. I want to encourage you that I'm coming back, but I also want to give you some clear instructions about what do you do after I'm gone? How would they carry out his mission without him there? That was his whole purpose in training them so that they could continue without him. Listen to John chapter 17, verses 15 and 18. I'm going to put them up on the screen and read. I don't ask that you take them. This is God, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying to God the Father on behalf of his disciples. I don't ask you, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. Jesus explained that they had a job to do here in this world. Don't you think the disciples were thinking as they heard this word, Jesus, if you're leaving, we're going too. We want to follow you and just take us to heaven. We don't want to stay here without you. Jesus said, I'm sending you out into the world just as the Father sent me. You can't hide away. You can't disappear and just stay to yourselves. You need to show God's love. You need to share the truth about how to be right with God. You need to share the gospel with people. And so as we look at a number of different verses in these couple of chapters this morning, you can turn there to John 16, and we're going to just reference several different ones. We're going to see eight different characteristics of God's love that we're called to share with our community. And I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, just on account of time. But as I said before, you can check back on the sermon notes if you need to catch up. First of all, we have John 13, chapter 1. I'm sorry, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that's the hour of his death, He loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples right to the very end. As he knew that he was about to die and suffer on the cross, he loved his disciples. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about them. And he cared about them. He wanted to spend more time with them. He wanted to encourage them. And Thomas said, to Jesus, can you show us the Father? Show us what he's like. And Jesus said, you've seen me, so you've seen the Father. This is one of the mysteries of our faith, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God in three unique persons. But Jesus said, as you've seen me, you've seen the way I live, you've seen my character, how I love people, that's who God is. That's how he loves, his patience his compassion, his mercy and forgiveness through all of his actions. Jesus was showing us, just as he showed the disciples, what God is like, showing his divine love. So when we love our neighbors, when we love people in our community, 
we show them what God is like. We're pointing them to God, and that's bringing glory to Him. So we have a divine love. Next, we have sacrificial love. In Jesus' day, people didn't wear closed shoes like I'm wearing. Any ladies wearing open shoes today? It's kind of cold and snowy, right? So we, we kind of all change over to the different shoe styles. But in their day, they wore sandals because it was warm and their feet could breathe, but they're on dusty, dirty roads. And so as they're walking, as they're living their lives, their feet got dirty. I consider this the Midwest. Do you think yourselves as Midwesterners or do you think yourselves as Easterners? Which one? Easterners or Midwesterners? Okay, all right. Well, I grew up in New Jersey right next to New York City. That's the East East, right? Right on the, on the ocean. So everything after that is the Midwest and then there's the West Coast. That's just the way we looked at things. But this feels like, there is the South? Where's that? <laughs> Sorry, there's a South too. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, this culture feels more like the Midwest to us because you're nice. In New Jersey and New York City, people are not nice. If you're watching online, I love you, family, that are still there. But here in the Midwest, when you get to somebody's house, what do you do most of the year? You take off your shoes, right? Because it's snowing here most of the year. We have muddy shoes, we have snowy shoes, and you take them off because you don't want to mess up their carpet. In Jesus' day, when they got to somebody's house, their feet were dirty and grimy, and someone in the household was given the job of washing everybody's feet. How many youngests do we have in, out here, youngest in your family? That was probably our job. I'm the youngest. That was probably our job. Whoever's the lowest, if you're wealthy enough to have a servant, then you'd make the servant do it. But otherwise, the youngest person in the family got a bucket, got a towel, and went around washing everybody's feet. That was a sign of love, wasn't it? It was sacrificial. You're doing something nobody else wants to do. And so as they sit down to this meal, nobody has washed the feet of Jesus and his disciples. And if you think about the Gospels, we heard the disciples arguing over and over again, who's going to be first in the kingdom? Who's going to be sitting at your right and left hand sides? Who's going to be in charge? And Jesus said, whoever is willing to serve the others, that one is the greatest in my kingdom. So Jesus, in sacrificial love, went around and washed the feet of each of his disciples. They were shocked not only is he their rabbi, their leader, but they believe that he really is the Son of God, and here is God himself washing their feet. In John 13, 14, Jesus said, I've given you this example that you should serve others instead of looking for opportunities to be in charge. Don't look for power. Look for service. Sacrificial love, doing the lowest job, showing how much you love other people. When we're willing to sacrifice our pride or even giving something up for our community, we show them God's love. And they're going to have a better understanding of the cross. They're going to have a better understanding of who Jesus is. And they're going to know that you really love them when you show them sacrificial love. Later in that chapter... 13, 
John 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. But also you are to love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This new commandment that Jesus gave them is possible only through a relationship with me. If you know my love, then love each other. When you show my mercy to someone who has done nothing to deserve it, when you forgive someone who's hurt you, you show mercy. When you show my grace and just pour out kindness to someone and you don't expect anything back, you're not looking for a return, you're just showing love. When you forgive over and over again, realizing that you've been forgiven of everything by Jesus, then we show by our example Christ's love. People will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other, by the way you love others. So what is First Baptist known for here in our community? We're known for Central Christian Academy. People say, oh, you're the church with the school. Oh, you're that place on Central Ave. You have a nice building. Are we known for love? When people think about our church, are they thinking, oh, that's the church that really loves Dunkirk. That's the church that loves Fredonia. That's the church that goes out of its way to show God's love. We need to show his love by example. Turning over to the next chapter, John 14, 1 and 2. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? Again, he's talking to them, knowing that he's about to leave, and he lets them know that something is coming. You can expect something amazing to happen. Our salvation is built on Jesus' promise that he will take us home to heaven when we die. We have eternal life. He said, believe in me and you will be saved. We love God because he saved us. We look forward to spending eternity with him. But people in our community are not going to come to church. They're not going to come to know Jesus just because we stand firm in our belief of the Bible. They're not going to come to us because we are the most patriotic church and we have a flag out front at every holiday. They're not going to come to us because we say we're going to be unyielding in our political and social views. They're not going to come to us seeking answers if what they find is anger, self-righteousness, despair, a lack of hope for the world. If they see and hear that from us, do you think they're going to come looking for answers? But they just might come when they experienced firsthand God's love through you. When you love your literal neighbor, the people next to you, people across the street from you, the man or lady over the back fence, when their dog traipses across your yard, then when their kids step on your flowers, how do you react? Do you continue to show love? 
our love is based on knowing that God is taking us home to heaven. So do we just look at the world around us and say, oh well, looks like you're not going to make it, but I am. Jesus said, bring them with you. Tell them the good news so that they too can know me. They too can come to heaven. John 14, 16, a favorite verse just in the reminder of who he's sending. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That helper is the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to look at our community and think that it's just too dark. It's too far gone. Things are too broken, especially those of us that have been around a couple decades. We look back and we remember the good things, right? We don't think about all the bad things, but we remember the good things from previous decades and we say, I wish it were like that. And we think back and we just highlight some of those joys that we experienced when we were younger and we say, look at the world today. Those things don't happen anymore. You've heard the story of the little boy on the beach. He stood at the shoreline with thousands and thousands of starfish who had washed up and were drying out in the hot sun. And this boy is frantically running around, picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean, running and picking up another one. And a man is walking by and he's watching this for a little while. He walks up to the boy and says, what are you doing? And the boy replied, I'm saving these starfish so they won't die. And the old man, full of wisdom, full of experience, full of weariness, says, son, don't you realize that you can't save all of these starfish? You can't save them all. Why even try? And the boy picked up another one and said, I just saved this one, and he throws it in. We can't save the world. We don't save anybody. But we can love people one at a time as we get to know their names, as we get to know their stories, as we get to experience what they're experiencing in life and share God's love instead of judging their sin, instead of condemning their practices and saying, well, no wonder you're in a mess. Look at what you've done. God never says that to us. God says, this is the way to live. I love you and I want you to come join my family. I don't care what your background is. Trust in my son as your savior and come be part of my family. I hope you've taken that invitation and accepted Jesus Christ yourself. I hope you've been welcomed into God's family. But then how could we possibly look at the people around us and just judge them and say, they're getting what they deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve an eternal life separated from God in a place called hell. That's what I deserve because of my sin. But God saved me. Do we look at other people and show him that love and that grace? Jesus was letting the disciples know that they wouldn't be alone after he was gone. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. God the Father is in heaven watching over, seeing everything. I'm here on earth with you, but I'm going back to heaven. But I'm going to send my Spirit so that everyone who's trusted me as Savior will have God dwelling in your soul, living with you 
empowering you to love and to serve other people. Our love is not through our own strength. It's not through our own goodness. It's supernatural. And the more we are connected to Jesus Christ, the more the Spirit is flowing out through us and we're living according to Him. Our desires, our thoughts, our actions are transformed to become more and more like Jesus. So we love supernaturally. John 15, 8 and 9. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's through knowing Jesus' love so deeply that it just spills over to other people. Next, we have obedient love. Several times throughout chapters 14 and 15, Jesus says, your love for me is clear when you show that you will obey what I've taught you, when you pattern your life after mine. And that, becomes, that means becoming a disciple, someone who is following someone else, that's a disciple, but also we have the word discipline in there, someone who's willing to give up things for better things. Those of you that have served in the military, you had to go through boot camp. Those of you that have been part of a sports team, you have to go through training and you have to give up things and say, I'm reaching out for this prize. I want to be part of this unit. I want to be part of this team. I'm willing to live my life differently to be ready for this position. And as Christians, we can't just sit back and say, I'm saved. Thank God I'm done. He calls us to actively follow him. He calls us to put off our old way of living and to put on the character of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week as we talked about how we grow spiritually. It's a choice to obey Christ. It's a choice to love the people around us, to act in love, not expecting anything in return, to keep loving not only when they don't love us back, or when they still show anger or hatred. When you recognize that this person has been hurt so much by the world that they don't respond with a big smile when you do something kindly, you just keep loving them the way Jesus did. We love our community because Jesus commanded us to. It's a realistic love. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before. It even hated you. There's no promise that our loving actions are going to have people just smiling and thanking us. We don't love them for those reasons. We love them because Jesus first loved us. So realistically, we know that as we serve our community, there might not be fruit initially. As we do things like trunk or treat and love the kids in the community, people aren't showing up the next day in droves, but little by little, they're seeing that we love them, we care about them, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it. And even if we never see the fruit, the Apostle Paul said, some of you are planting a seed, someone else might be watering it, and someone else might be reaping that harvest. We're starting the process by showing them, introducing them to God's love, and then leaving the rest to God. We can't account for all of those things. It's a 
anticipatory love. There's a big word. Jesus promised us eternal life and a home in heaven, but he doesn't whisk us away there immediately, just like maybe the disciples were thinking. Oh, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Take me to heaven now. He says, I need you here to point people to the path. I need you to bring people with you. And Jesus prayed for those who would come later in John 17, 15, and 20. Verse 20 says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us today. We didn't meet Jesus firsthand. We didn't see him walking through the streets of Jerusalem or at the Sea of Galilee, but we've heard the testimony of the generation before us. We've heard the testimony of the generation before that and before that, and they kept passing on this faith. And we look forward to passing it on to the next generation, anticipating that just like the generation before us, lives will be changed and souls will be saved. People have asked me, how do we know that the Bible is true? The fundamentals class is great for that. If you have any questions about your faith or even just a brush up, come to the fundamentals class today and over the next couple of weeks. There are lots of physical proofs to talk about why we can believe the truth of the Bible, but to me, the best proof is all of you. Changed lives. As you see people coming to know Jesus as their Savior, and their lives are turned upside down in a good way. As they follow Him instead of chasing after what the world has to offer, we know that it's true. And Jesus said, your love is what's going to attract people and point people to me. So we anticipate people coming to know Jesus as we love them. But we can't always have a measure-for-measure success. We can't say, oh, I raked my neighbor's leaves, next week they'll be in church, and the week after that they'll trust Jesus as Savior. We can't expect that to happen every time we love somebody. We just keep loving them, and we keep loving them, and we keep loving them. So here's a couple challenges to loving our community. Hatred, apathy, self-righteousness. James chapter 3 has a lot to say about our hearts. He calls out bitter jealousy, self-ambition, arrogance. And he says these are evidence of hatred. They're evidence of worldly thinking. But godly wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy. It's shown through good works and it doesn't breathe hypocrisy. That's probably one of the biggest black marks on the church and Christians as you talk to people. It's hypocrisy. People who say they love Jesus, but then don't love the people around them. How can we live that way? Jesus had a lot to say about the religious leaders of his day and their hypocrisy. They went around in fancy robes, cleaner than everybody else, and said, be like us, but they didn't show love. They didn't show mercy. They didn't forgive people. They didn't show kindness. Hatred towards the world, towards the people around us, is a challenge to us loving our community. If we just say, I don't really like those people, 
I don't like what's happening in the world today. I don't like what's happening in our community. And instead of saying, let's change it, we just fall into, I'm just going to be mad about it. Apathy. If something doesn't directly impact us, sometimes we have little to say about it and maybe even less desire to do something about it. How many of you feel like you're busy? Anybody busy out there? We have pretty fast-paced lives where there's not a lot of room to add things. We're busy with work, we're busy with school, we're busy with our families, running around to after-school activities. We have sports. I think there's some kind of game going on today. All of these things happen that pull away our attention. And sometimes we even get too busy with church functions. I've got to be at church for this, 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 and this. How can I love my community. I've got too much going on. And sometimes it takes a personal connection before we actually care about someone or something. We have a family member who's struggling with an addiction. So now, okay, yeah, real people struggle with this. Now I care about this. Or a neighbor lets us know about a problem they're struggling with, and now we start to care a little bit more. We need to look for those hurts in our community and let them know that God's love has answers. God's word has answers. Sometimes we think it's up to the government or somebody else to pick up the slack. Somebody's going to take care of that. I don't need to be bothered. So apathy can keep us from getting involved. Sometimes it's just that the people in our community that are hurting are invisible to us. We just drive down the street, we walk on by, and we just don't even see them. And then thirdly, self-righteousness, a dangerous temptation for the church to look at others and just say, why not? They deserve what they're getting. They didn't make good choices. They didn't hold down a good job. They didn't stick with school. They should have insurance if they did everything right. People with struggling with addictions, they just need to stop. Don't do that anymore. We forget all the possible reasons that could have brought someone to that place. Someone who came back from military service and they lost their civilian job. They came out with a set of skills that aren't needed in their community. Maybe somebody that was prescribed medication after a surgery and that pain stayed and that medication became an addiction. Maybe the reason that this woman is a single mom is because an abusive husband left her and the kids. Or maybe it's an immigrant who is waiting for paperwork to get a regular job, waiting to become part of the society, waiting. And that's part of my story. My father came over from Italy and many of you have that story. And we look at our current population and say, why is this happening? We've always welcomed people to our country. So why wouldn't we welcome more and love them? Do we believe that we're better than people? Do we believe that because God saved me, because he's blessed me, that I can take credit for any of that? That's self-righteousness. And we forget that God has got our back, that he's making things happen that we don't even know about on our behalf. 
and we can live lives that truly are blessed, but then we don't show mercy and grace to those around us. If we're going to show God's love, we desperately need to be grateful people who every morning start the day, thank you, God, for another day. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the family around me. Thank you for a job. Thank you for everything we have. Otherwise, we're going to have a hard time showing God's love if we don't recognize how much he loves us. Our time is fleeting, and that spider is working his way back up to the ceiling. I don't know if I should end when he makes it back up or down. I'm not sure. Those of you that can't see him, he's right there in front of me. Sharing our spiritual gifts and abilities. That's the other part of sharing. In addition to God's love, actually how we show God's love is when we share who God made us. Sorry, any of you that are arachnophobic. Um, He's really small and he's not going anywhere near you. So, Take out your bulletin for a moment and pull out this little sheet of paper that says share. See if you found that. If you didn't pick up a bulletin, there are some extras out there and you can grab one. You are a unique part of the body. If you haven't joined the church yet, and you're coming, or maybe you're even coming for the first time, you have a spiritual gift that we need as a church family. The Apostle Paul talked about it. We talked about it last week, how we're different parts of one body, all doing different functions, and we need each other. So on this piece of paper are places that you can check off and say, this is how I want to love our community. Did you know that working in the nursery with our babies is loving to our community. It's giving a mom or a dad a chance to sit in the service and listen. When you help with kids' church or get involved in the youth group, you're loving the community. You're showing God's love by sharing the gospel, by listening to their stories, by caring for whoever you're with. It's not just loving the church family, but it's everybody that comes through our doors. And then there's other things like outreach and missions where we are going out into the community. So look through this, check off some boxes of areas where you're already serving or maybe areas where you'd like to serve. Put your contact info on it and you can leave that at the Welcome Center. And the next time we have something going on, you might get a phone call, a text or an email and say, hey, would you like to help out with a meal? Would you like to take a turn in the nursery? If you did it once a year, you'd be giving someone else a break and a chance to be in here in the service too. So look for a place to serve. Look for a place to share those abilities. I'm going to end with this quote that I read just this morning in my devotions. How's that for God working things together? This is from Paul Tripp. And it's a a new devotional that I'm reading this year called New Morning Mercies. The Bible's story is about a God of love invading the world in the person of his son of love to establish his kingdom of love by a radical sacrifice of love to forgive us in love and draw us into his family of love. 
and to send us out as ambassadors of the very same love. Did you notice that hidden theme throughout his quote? I made it bold just in case you missed it. It's about love. And yes, God is holy and perfect, and we can't attain his righteousness. We can't be right with God unless we confess our sins, unless we say, God, I'm a mess. I need you. I need to be saved. But when we do that, we experience his love, and then we have an opportunity to become ambassadors and share that not only with our church family, with your immediate family, but with the community and with the world. Have you accepted Christ's gift of salvation? Do you know God's unconditional love? Do you still think that he looks at you and says, you've messed up too many times. You're not good enough. God doesn't say that. He says, son, daughter, welcome to the family. Accept this gift of love. Accept Christ's sacrifice of love. Confess your sins. Become my follower and experience God's love. If you're watching online, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ's gift of salvation, I would love for you to do that today. And I would love to tell you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Scripture tells us that it's not a guessing game. God doesn't leave us hoping and waiting until the end to say, did I make it? Did I do enough good things? He says, it's all based on my son, Jesus. He did it all for you, dying on the cross and rising again. So come talk to me if you'd like to know more about that relationship with Jesus. Do you really know and appreciate God's grace in your own life? Last week, we talked about uh, spending time in God's word and just recalling his grace and his forgiveness, how much he loves you and making sure that you start each day knowing that. It's really hard to show love to other people when you don't know God's love first. When you say, I don't see God at work in my life, how are you going to share that excitement? You have to keep coming back to that and seeing how much he's loving you. If you were to rate our church on a scale of 1 to 10 in loving our community, what number would you write down? You can write this on your, the back side of your share paper, and you can turn that in if you want to. I'm not going to call you and say, hey, why'd you only give us a 2? But if you were to think about that, a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing in loving our community? This is one of the chillingest questions for a church. If our doors were locked and we didn't show up next week or the week after, if we never met again, would there be a difference in our community? Would Dunkirk, Fredonia, Northern Chautauqua County say, hey, where are those people from First Baptist Church? Where is this loving community? I miss them. Would they care? What could we be doing better? Do you have a passion for something, a hurt in our community, or maybe something that you've experienced and you said, I'd love to help other people with that. You can write that down on the back of your share form if we don't have a box for something you'd love to be doing. Where would you want to serve personally to show God's love? So if you have time and you want to fill that out, you can do that this morning and drop it off at the Welcome Center. You could bring it back next week. That's okay too.
But what I'm excited about is seeing people using the gifts and abilities that God has given them. And I would love to see every one of you plugged in and serving somewhere. A lot of the things are behind the scenes. Nobody even knows what you're doing because you're not doing it for the applause of men. You're doing it to get a well-done, good and faithful servant from Jesus. Mark's going to come and we're going to sing a song about our love, and it's a fitting one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that we can share that with others within the church family. And thank you that you've called us to share that with the world around us. Help us, Lord, to have broken hearts for those who are broken in our community, for our neighbors, for our family members that are struggling. Help us not to be angry, to be self-righteous, to be apathetic, but help us as we recognize how much you love us. Help us to show that love to others around us. Now to God the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us through his Holy Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in his Son Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.